Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hello, and I am here today with Gail Sexton Anderson, the founder and CEO of Donor Concierge. Welcome, Gail. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me. So can you talk a little bit about Donor Concierge and what led you to start it? Sure. I started Donor Concierge, well, officially about 13 years ago, but I started it having worked in many agencies because I've been in this field now for about 20 years and finding that when a woman needs to make this choice to work with an egg donor, it's a huge leap. And there's no one source where they're going to find every possibility of someone that they could feel really comfortable with so that they can then let go of their own genetics and be able to move forward with another woman's eggs and be able to create their family. So it it initially started with women who were coming to an agency and and they were Chinese or, or Indian, and there just wouldn't really be anyone as a donor for them in that particular program. And and they were always directed to, you know, choose a this nice Hispanic girl because she has dark hair and dark eyes. She might have been a lovely individual, but that's not this, you know, this couple's background. And so it would feel very, it just felt unfair and, and harsh to suggest that they let go of even more and choose someone who doesn't even have to share their heritage. So Awesome. And so give us a little background about what don- Donor Concierge provides for women. Sure. Donor Concierge is connected to a hundred different agencies. We act completely independently, so we don't take any referral fees from any agencies, but they allow us access to their egg donors, uh, gestational carriers. We also can search for sperm donors, so we don't wind up doing that quite as much. And we help people to find someone who would sort of fit into their family. That's one of the things I always say is, is look for someone who looks like they could fit into your family and who you like for who they are. And so that's um, that's the basic um, thing that we do, as well as sort of guiding them through all the pitfalls that can come along as they're you know going down this road. Wow, that's great. So you've seen a lot of women who are grappling with the decision to use an egg donor or a surrogate. Yes, absolutely. And I, I find that when women start this process, they really have to go through all of the stages of of grief and mourning. You know that are you know were, were listed out by Elizabeth Kubler Ross you know many years ago. Hmm. Of you know they they go through the denial the anger the frustration of you know just there's and it's not linear it's not like oh I've gone through that now I'm good to go and nothing else is going to come up that to make me kind of go back to that depression or the anger or the denial again you know every time there's a setback that can definitely trigger all of the same emotions so it's one of the reasons why you know I feel like they have to have kind of work through this and gotten to a point where they can see this as being a really wonderful opportunity rather than I would never do that. This seems like a horrible idea, but they do <laughs> most of the time and and don't look back and, and regret it. So so it's just 
something that that they have to kind of work through. Mm -hmm. And does your service help women with those sort of those emotional stages they need to go through? Or how would you say you address that? Well, what we always do when we start out with any intended parent that contacts us, the first thing we actually do is just send them some initial information so they understand sort of what we do. So that when we have a conversation with them, which there's, we don't charge anything for the initial consult and that can last up to an hour. But when we're having that conversation, we're not kind of talking about, oh, what's the cost of this and all of that. We're more focusing in on, I want to hear what has your fertility journey been up to this point? As we're listening to them share their story, it helps us to be able to get some perspective on this. But also we kind of can hear, you know, do they sound like they're still really angry? Is this still really new and early for them? Are they still feeling really raw? Or are they, you know, kind of having, you know, where are they in this, their journey? And that's where we can sort of, you know, talk to them a little bit about all of that, you know, talk to them about, you know, what their, their ideals are for what they're looking for, but also give them a very realistic perspective of you know what they can find so it's it's a it's always a, a kind of a balancing act in it and it's going to be a little bit different for everyone you know every individual that we talk to I know that I talk to women all the time mainly around egg donation because that's mm-hmm. something I've been through and they have this incredible fear that they're not going to bond with their baby once their baby is born I've even had you know women call me in a panic while they're pregnant saying like oh my god I made a mistake what am I gonna do you've probably talked to many women before and after, what would you say, what's your impression of how women feel after their baby is born? You know, I have never had anyone after their child is born say, oh, I shouldn't have done this. (laughs) (laughs) They they fall in love with their child. And the truth is, even if you are having a child that is completely genetically related to you, there can be that feeling of during the the pregnancy of like you have an alien inside of you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, when the baby comes out, there's initially that like, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> and and that that's all normal, you know, but then it's sort of like they you just continue on and because you are caring for this very small little person, you know, you just develop you do bond, you know, you, and so it, I have never had anyone say they can't bond with their child. In fact, I've even had people say that one of my favorite notes from one of a previous client was after her her daughter was born, she said, "I can't believe how much she looks like me when I was a baby. And she even has a birthmark, just like my birthmark in the same place and all of that. And I've had people say, oh my gosh, she has my eyes. I have no idea how all of this happens, but you know, they're, it's, they don't feel like they have an alien once, (laughs) once that child is born, they, you know, have a child that they, you know, love and adore and don't really, they don't look back and regret. Mm -hmm. And, and can you speak a little bit to that for women who've used a gestational carrier? I think the same thing. I think there, there are different difficulties when it comes to, you know, sometimes feeling a little bit detached because they're not able to carry. But that's where I would say it's, it's important to, to have an ongoing relationship throughout the pregnancy with your gestational carrier. Women who choose to be gestational carriers usually have huge hearts and are, you know, warm and caring individuals. They are moms themselves. They may not necessarily be the person that you would have, you know, picked to be your best friend or something, And but it, there's they are warm individuals. And the more involved you are without being overly, you don't want to have the you know, 
surrogate move in with you because that's, you know, a little bit too too close for comfort for both of you. But, you know, staying in touch and, and being in touch with her and being thoughtful of, of, of her and her family, I think, and going to appointments whenever you possibly can, I think all of that can add to the excitement and the joy because for the surrogate, her joy comes from seeing your joy, mm. not because, you know, it, it's, and, and yes, this is something unique that she is capable and willing to do. So it's something that she gets a lot of joy out of that this accomplishment. But her joy really comes from seeing the joy of the intended parents, mm. not so much, you know, other things. Yeah, great that she gets compensated, but that's not her main motivation. Mm-hmm. That's great. And what would you say, having seen so many women go through this process, what do women need to let go of in order to embrace using an, an egg donor or a gestational carrier? I think, and I'll, I'll talk about the egg donor side of things really first. I think that letting go of trying to find an ideal or trying to find someone who is their clone. And what I find is that people intellectually know that they're not going to find their clone or their doppelganger, someone who looks just like them. But they sometimes can overly focus on little things. And the truth is that you can't, when I say little things, sort of like they may look at and say, oh, well, her chin's not like mine or her lips are a little thin, you know, and, and it's sort of like one of those things where it's like, let's look at the overall person. Mm-hmm. There are other characteristics that are very much like your family. And I think there's a big fear that, you know, because you can't change your mind once you've decided and you go forward. So there's that fear of, am I making the right choice? Am I making the right decision? So I think that what they need to let go of is trying to control everything, but more sort of looking at the the donor as an overall individual, looking at them in terms of not because they have all these great qualities that, that you have, but that they have qualities that you admire that are, you know, good qualities that you feel like this is a nice person. I like her. I think that's one of the most important things is to be able to say, I like her so that someday when their child says, why did you choose this donor? And I do encourage people to be open. Then you can just say, I chose her because I liked her. And and these are the reasons why, you know, she was, she loved animals, you know, and, or, or she, you know, went off to the Peace Corps or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. but things that you find really interesting about that young woman that make you feel that you like her. I love that. When I was picking a donor, I felt like mainly when I was picking back to when I was picking a sperm donor the very first time, there were so many profiles that just had these, you know, like one very flippant sentence or I don't know, just little things that just I felt like I needed to be able to present a profile to my child that I felt 100% positive and proud to present. And it was less about sort of the little details and more of like what you're saying, like this overall picture. Right. No, I think that's really true. And I I think I I found that to be true because I I have people that come back to me years later and and are thinking about having their their child meet the donor. And I I think that those are the things that that you need to kind of be looking at, you know, what what type of person is this? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's very important. Mm -hmm. And then so I kind of have a theory about donors sort of fate, like we when we're faced with picking one, it feels like the most significant decision you've ever made in your entire life. And it feels scary and horrible and or not necessarily horrible, but it's it feels, you know, like the weight of the world is on you about every little aspect. And then I try and tell people that in hindsight, once you get your kid, the donor really fades into the background and you're so focused on your child and the fact that you ended up with the child you're meant to have or the perfect kid for you. And that's so hard to explain 
explain to women before the fact while they're in the midst of picking it? Any advice you would give to women around that? I think that they have to have some trust and some faith. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, in a religious sort of way, but most people have some sort of trust, whether it's, you know, their belief system, the universe. But I think that you have to be able to let go and not feel like you need to control all of this. And as I said, look at that overall person. And I think that really you need to just be thoughtful and confident that once your child is born, you're not going to have these reservations. You're not going to think about that donor. The other part of it is that when you pick your donor, you know, this child is not going to be the donor. The child is going to be a unique individual. And that child is going to be a combination of both, you know, the the egg donor's um, genetics and the male portion of this creation. And that child's going to be a very unique individual. So you're not going to get like every little characteristic of that young woman, you're going to get a unique person. And they may not have that. They may have characteristics of their grandmother or something like that, which doesn't mean you need to look at every picture of every relative <laughs> because you just can't control all of that. Your child is going to be a unique, wonderful individual and you will love them and they will frustrate you just like every other child <laughs> ever has been born. You know, th- things will be just, a, you'll have a normal family, whatever that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. And then so the same question as it relates to using a gestational carrier, which is what do women need to let go of in order to embrace that path? You know, I think, again, they need to let go of control. You know, that's sort of a continuing theme because you can't control every little thing that, you know, your, your surrogate does or eats or, you know, the, the air that she breathes. Um, other than like you could certainly can get a, you know, buyer an air purification system or something like that. And if you want her to eat organic, you can pay for that. But, you know, trust her. She's had children of her own and she did a good job of, you know, having them and raising them. And so you have to trust her that, you know, she's going to do a good job and she's going to be very, very careful with your, you know, precious child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the gestational carrier goes through all kinds of screening before she goes forward to be a surrogate. So I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, have some trust and have a good agency that also when you do have real concerns, that you can bring those concerns to the agency and not confront your surrogate and, you know, have her be on the defense if you want to be, just have a very good and supportive relationship with your surrogate. Um, But other things, you know, bring them to the attention of the agency and they can, you know, help you with maybe they'll talk to the surrogate or, you know, they'll handle those things Mm -hmm. so that, you know, your relationship with your surrogate stays positive. Mm. And so if you're someone who's, if someone's working with you to match them with the surrogate, are you the person that they would go to? Or there's actually oftentimes another agency involved as well? There will always be another agency involved. um, Because what we do is we help, in, in a way, we're a bit like a general contractor. We help our clients find, when it comes to a gestational carrier, we help them find very good carriers that we have already, you know, reviewed their profiles. There are some that that we are sent by agencies that we would not share with our clients because they don't meet ASRM guidelines. They maybe have had too many C-sections or you know, there, there are reasons that their BMI is, is far too high. So we are kind of previewing possible candidates before we share them with our clients. 
once they have decided to go forward with uh, a surrogate, and that won't happen until their their physician has reviewed the surrogate's uh, medical records, that the the couple has had a conversation with that surrogate, and then they would you know go into you know contracts with the agency to work with that surrogate. And at that point, we are you know we're stepping out of the way. We don't disappear, but we're stepping out of the way because we don't interfere with agencies and how they you know they run their programs. That's that's their area of expertise. We will only step in if the intended parents, you know, are concerned about something and then we will step in and either talk to the agency or, you know, assuage the client's, you know, concerns by letting them know that this is normal. It's very natural. No problems going Mm -hmm. or go talk to your attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really helpful because I don't know that much about the gestational carrier process. That's that's helpful to know. So what advice would you give to a woman who's looking at the path of either egg donation or gestational carrier or sometimes even both, I guess? Um, You know what I would say, because one of the things I was thinking about, because I know that you're a single mother by choice and you were lucky enough to be able to carry, as I understand. Mm -hmm. But there are some women who are single mothers by choice who also can't carry. So one of the things that I wanted to, and we've helped those women to find their egg donor, their sperm donor, and their gestational carrier. And some might say, well, why doesn't she go adopt? Well, it's not as easy to adopt as you know people might think and so it's not always the answer and sometimes they do want to have a little bit more control over some of their you know the, the health and and the various things that you know go into knowing that they're going to be having a child that is hopefully healthy and all of that so but they have unique things that they need to think about because if you are a single mother and you are not genetically related to the child and of course you're not giving birth you have to choose a surrogate in a state that will recognize you as the legal parent and so that's something where, and I can't list all of them off. I know California is one that that definitely your name will be on the birth certificate and you won't run into any issues in terms of you being seen as the legal parent of your child. And that happens right away. You don't have to go to court, you know, work through any of that. But that's something I'd say it's always important to be talking to an attorney that this is their area of specialization is third party fertility and uh, reproductive law. And that it's usually it's a family attorney or part of family law. So that's something I think that's really important to be aware of if someone needs to have, you know, all three. Mm -hmm. And I'd say beyond that, I think the things that are really important are you need to make sure that when you're choosing a clinic, that you choose a clinic that has, you know, sometimes you have a clinic near you that that would be your best choice. And that may be your only option, depending on what your financial situation might be. But if you have options, whenever you're looking, you want to look at what the success rate for that clinic and that they've done a lot of cycles working with either egg donors or gestational carriers so that you know that they're very comfortable with that process and that they know how to handle all of this and it's not their first time through. So those are some of the things I think are really important is choosing a really good clinic that has um, a good track record and has worked with many people who are going the same route that you are going. Great. And would you normally ask the clinic directly for those numbers or go to SART or? I would say go to SART, but you can also ask the, the clinic directly because mm-hmm. they that's certainly fine too and and they they probably have something you know ready to share and they'll have things often on their on their websites but I know what I usually do because I will also help people to find a clinic and whenever we do that we're always looking at you know the combination of you know good success rates knowing that we've had intended parents who have worked with their programs and that they have very supportive programs that they have a good team that will you know know who you are when you come in you know because we don't want them to have to tell their story every single time. And so I go to SART and sort of take a look at all of that and then, you know, try to 
find something that would be in the area that they're looking for, give them options of at least three different clinics and direct contact to the bio for the reproductive endocrinologist. And in many cases, what we can do with our clients is we can make a direct introduction to the clinic that they choose. And that often is helpful to kind of get them in a little bit more quickly than maybe they might get in if they're just contacting the uh, clinic on their own. Mm, Great. And do you do any sort of sleuthing around around the embryologist and the lab? Well, and and when when we're looking at at the success rate, certainly the embryologist makes a huge difference. And so that will definitely impact um, whether or not they have good success rates. And it's also one of the, because I've been in this field for such a long time, and it, it is a relatively small field, like we know most of the physicians that are out there. We, you know, work with, you know, probably around four to 500 different clinics across the country. So we, we have a pretty good idea of, you know, who these people are. And, you know, we've had clients that have worked with them and had success and have been happy with them, that sort of thing. There are many possibilities and wonderful reproductive endocrinologists all across the country. So lots of options. Awesome. And then can you dive in a little bit to talk about why someone might or what the difference is between using a donor at your clinic that you just choose? Like I know a lot of women would first be talking to a doctor and then a lot of the clinics now have their own in-house donors versus working with you versus working even just directly with agencies. Sure. What I would say is it's always going to be more cost effective if you can choose a donor that's part of your clinic. The advantage that you have with that are that they will have pre-screened the donors, done you know medical pre-screening as well as psychological pre-screening. And if I would check that because there are some clinics that may not, they may wait until someone chooses. But generally speaking, they have probably already done the screening. So if you, they find someone in the program that they like, then I think that that's probably going to be their most cost-effective way to go. If, however, the one they like is cycling with someone else, I never recommend waiting for that donor. It's not, you know, what people don't always realize when they're going into this is that, you know, donors, this is not a career choice for them. It, this is some, And it's not easy for them. And if they've been through their own fertility they, they treatment, they may have gone through egg retrieval and realize it's not a walk in the park. So there are young women who may choose to be a donor, but then they may get to a certain point and decide, you know, this isn't comfortable. I don't like doing this, or I just got into graduate school, or I just got into, you know, I just got engaged and my fiance doesn't want me to do it. So you can't count on, you know, if you're on a waiting list to work with that donor next or work with that donor second or third, you can't guarantee that's going to happen. And you have to be aware of that. So you should always have a backup plan. It's not a good idea to wait for a donor. Let go of that donor and move on and find another donor. If they don't have any other donors in that program, it doesn't mean you can't continue to work with that clinic, but you may, they usually will have a, a list of clinics that they work with, that, I mean clinics, um, agencies that they work with. The difference with working with a donor from an agency, one, you do get a lot more choice, but you will have to pay for the, the screening of the donor if she hasn't already been a donor. And again, that doesn't mean that, oh, only go for a repeat donor. I always say look at both first-time donors as well as repeat donors, because when you are, everyone has to be a first-time donor at some point. First-time donors, their fees are usually a little bit lower. With a repeat donor, you do have a sense of possibly what their track record might be, but their fees are going to be a bit higher. And it doesn't always mean that it's going to be, you know, give you any more advantage other than your your physician can look and see, you know, how she stimulated in her last cycle. So that can be, you know, helpful. But I just always think it's best to kind of look at every possible combination of things, whether, you know, first-time donor, repeat donor, because just because she's a repeat donor doesn't necessarily mean that she probably cycled at a different clinic might not be the same protocol. And, you know, just there's all kinds of 
of different factors that are involved. So your physician may have, have things that when they look at that donor's um, medical records from her previous cycle may say, I don't think she's a good choice for you. Wow. Okay. And then would you say that you can, there's more information about the donors if you work through an agency or is that sort of variable? I think it's variable. They may have more things that give you a better sense of the donor's personality. But generally speaking, I think clinics try to, you know, do the same sort of information. But it, it depends. Every, every agency and every clinic have slightly different sorts of questions that they're going to ask, other than, of course, they're going to have the same sort of information when it comes to, to um, health and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then is there anything sort of the equivalent of like an open ID donor in the fresh egg donor world? Well, yes, kind of there is. I mean, you certainly can always ask that question. And what I always say, and it's not an unusual request at all, and most young women, you know, donors are open to that idea of being, you know, you know, open ID. Or when I think of that, I think of sort of like maybe at, at age 18, if the child wants to know something more about the donor, that that would be a possibility and that door is left open at, for that. So it's just something that, that I always recommend asking the question to make sure that the donor is open to that. Sometimes it'll even say on her profile, but also just make sure you put that into the contract when you are, are going into this with the, the donor that you both agree to having some sort of contact in the future. And then the, they can sign up for the donor sibling registry and that would give an avenue for having being able to connect in the future. And then do most people, when they're going through this process with an egg donor, are they meeting face-to-face with the donor or is this all done sort of remotely with attorneys or does that again vary? It varies. I'd say most people don't meet their donors, but some people do. And if it's not necessarily in person, it may be occasionally there'll be a Skype or sometimes a donor might be willing to to do a video. I always tell our clients, because sometimes they'll say, I really want to see a video that's really important to me. I tell them, you know, don't make this a hill to die on because quite often they're willing to do that. But every once in a while, there'll be an agency that feels like that's a little bit, uh, you know, too close for comfort and they aren't comfortable with asking the, you know, the donor to do a video. And again, if there is a meeting, even if it's a Skype meeting, probably someone from the agency will also be on for that so that it sort of just gives a buffer between the donor and the attended parents to kind of make sure that you know everyone's comfortable and that there is someone there to facilitate this conversation so that everyone stays comfortable with and is appropriate, of course. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something that can happen, but it's, it's something that I'd say it, it's on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, that's helpful. I know a lot of people, you know, people fall anywhere on the spectrum of wanting to know the donor. I know a friend who met the donor and is still, you know, has, I think, written some letters with the donor once her child was born and then other people who really don't want any contact. But it's just nice to know that basically, if especially if you're working with your service, you can help people find sort of where they want to lie on that spectrum and help them locate donors that would match that. Exactly. And, and I, you know, I do encourage people to be open because I think it's very important when I say open, open with their child, because I think it's very important for transparency is sort of a cornerstone of, of family life. You know? <laughs> and though everyone knows their own family culture. So it's something that I, I'm not going to say everyone should do this. But I think there is an advantage to, you know, being open, because then it's not like something comes up at some future point where it's, you know, the truth is exposed, and sometimes in a way that might be unpleasant. And then that can create a lot of, you know, strife within the family and, and heartache, where if you are always open, then your child is very much aware, it's not a big deal, you start from a very early age of just, you know, you can put together a little book of, you know, how we became a family. And, and it's just always, you know, part of, of the child's life, they don't see it as being anything different, you know, because they, they don't have the same sort of 
of mindset as, as we do as adults. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And any language you recommend to people or? You know, I think it's always best to keep it really simple. And, you know, you know, so I think you can say, you know, this is how, you know, we were, we've created our family. And, and there are books that are, are out there, not just that you make it specifically for your family, but that are very nice ways to be able to share, you know, that let's say mommy and daddy really wanted children and it takes, you know, eggs and sperm and either we didn't have sperm or we didn't have eggs or maybe we didn't have either. And so, you know, we wanted you so much that we found this nice person that was, you know, willing to help. And, you know, but basically when a child asks a question, you answer the question, you know, and, mm. and but don't necessarily, you don't have to lead into everything else all at once. But, you know, you know, mommy, did I grow in your tummy? And, and certainly, you know, Sarah, you can say, yes, you did. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you have answered the question. And so it's your, and you've been completely honest, you know, but so you answer the questions in just a very simple and straightforward way. And I actually suggest that people do this like when they're pregnant. And of course, if you're working with a surrogate, you don't have the same ability to feel like, you know, the child is hearing your story, but you could do it with your, with your surrogate there too. And it, the reason I say this is not so much because the child can take all of that in. Children, of course, love to hear their, you know, their mother's voice, but it's more because you get comfortable with just talking about how your family was formed. And there are so many people who have to go the, the route of, you know, third party fertility, egg donor, sperm donor, or you know, gestational carrier, all of the above, that sometimes people feel, you know, shame or something that you know, they can't do this. But it's like, do you feel shame that you have, if you ever had to wear braces? because your teeth weren't straight? Probably not. I mean, you were probably an adolescent and everything embarrassed you, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, but you know, it's sort of, it is part of life. It's like, we don't, aren't all able to, you know, create children the way we thought we would, but the families we create are still amazing and wonderful. And, you know, your children will love you and rebel against you just like any other child. So. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I feel so incredibly strongly about that. I don't understand the shame that we seem to, as a society, place on infertility. And I know I feel like I'm on a crusade of sorts to try and lessen the shame around third-party reproduction and all of its forms. So I, I hear you. I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I can also attest that I practiced my story over and over and over again when my son was in utero and even when he was a little tiny baby. And it was amazing to me how how I thought I was so clear and easy and it was not going to be a problem. And then, you know, he's like, a month old and I started to tell him and I sort of stumbled over myself. And But he was a month old. Notice. Yeah, he didn't notice. So yeah, the practice, I think the practice from very, very, very young is so important. And now I can tell him the story without even blinking an eye. And, and you know, I, I think that is so important because what I find is, you know, I've talked with people who I worked with many, many years ago and they have, you know, at least like one case, she's like, you know, I kept wanting to share the story, but I just never could. And now she's, she's seeing a thing therapist to try to figure out how she can share the story with her son, mm. who's like 16. So it's so much better and easier if you wait for that perfect time. There's never a perfect time. Mm-hmm. And it just means you just keep postponing and postponing, and then it makes it harder and more difficult. And, you know, it's like, there's always a reason not to. But if you just start, and, and I do, th- I think you're absolutely right, starting in utero, 
zero. And then, you know, starting again, like at a week, a month, whatever, you know, just so that you can get comfortable with it because your children are, you know, they'll pick up the flinches and, and the, you know, and the flinches are your own thing, not better to kind of get through this and, and be really comfortable. And if you choose not to tell, you can't tell anyone because if you tell your best friend or you tell your, your mom or your aunt Susie or anyone, it can come up and, and because people forget or they get angry or, you know, there's so many things that can occur that, you know, it's just better to, you know, if you choose that route, you just can't tell anyone. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really true. So any other advice, I guess, if, if there's a single mom who's contemplating either egg donation or surrogacy, what they would receive by coming to you, how you would help them through the process and why you think it would be important for a single mom to work with you? You know, I think because often when you're you're choosing to, you know, to be a single mom and you have to, you know, go through all of this, you can feel very much alone. And we really do act as sort of your your friend for a season. We are, you know, we're a great sounding board. We're very supportive. We've done this many, many times. All the people that all of our team, all of our case managers are mature women. They're well-educated. They, most of them have had their own journey of one type or another. And all of us have been deeply touched by anyone who has to, you know, isn't, isn't able to kind of do things the old fashioned way. And so we can help them to find a donor that they can feel like they can relate to, whether that's egg, sperm, or both. And when it comes to helping them find a gestational carrier, it just happens so much more quickly because we have access to so many different programs. So both when it comes to the egg donor side of things, we have access to over 80 different egg donor programs. Hmm. So if they're looking for someone who, you know, has, if they have a very unique ethnic background and there aren't, you, know, you may not go to, let's say if you are Chinese or you're Jewish, you, you're not going to go to any one particular program and find, oh, they just have this plethora of women that share your heritage. But we have access to so many that we can help them to do their due diligence and see all the possibilities. And so they can feel that they have, you know, seen all possible candidates and then can feel like, okay, now I feel like I'm making the best decision. And even then I say, choose three to five, because there are things that can happen where your favorite person gets chosen by someone else very quickly. And then you don't have access to that person and, and you need to be able to let go of that. And most of our clients can find someone. And when it comes to egg donor, the egg donor search is about a three week process. And most of them find someone within that time period. When it comes to the surrogacy side of things, because we have access to about 45 different surrogacy programs, we can help them find find a surrogate that has a you know healthy BMI, meets all the ASRM guidelines, someone that they feel like they can have good communication with, and we can have your physician review their medical records before you actually even have that meeting. So these are things that it makes it, because normally what would happen is you sign it with a specific agency and you pay them a large sum of money to then you know be on, on the waiting list to help them find and do a surrogate. And sometimes it can take anywhere from six to that, you know, some, sometimes you may wind up waiting several months to be matched. Because we have access to so many and we're curating your, your choices, most of our clients are able to find a gestational carrier in four to six weeks. So it just, it, it speeds things up because it's it's just much more, I guess, curated you know, mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. because we can choose from many different possibilities. And, and because we don't take any type of referral fee, we're only paid by the intended parents. You know, we don't have a big motivation for you to work with any specific agency, but we have vetted all of the agencies that we work with. So we know that they are good programs and, you know, have integrity and we've had good experiences with them. And so it's, it's something that's hard to know when you're going into this on your own and just sort of diving in. It's really hard to know what, what, which agencies are, 
truly good and which aren't. And you can't necessarily tell because they have got a really nice website. There are some websites that, you know, are much more homespun looking and but the people that run the program have wonderful hearts and are very ethical and are doing a good job. So, you know, that's how I'd say that that we can help them sort of sort through all of the, the noise out there and make it a much more efficient process. I've had people actually say that, that, that they worried about them spending the money, but they were, it was like the best money they spent because they felt so confident going forward. Nice. I can imagine the research on all the technicalities when you start using a gestational carrier can also just make your mind spin. It sounds like you can help sort through that and help direct them in the right direction from the outset. Yeah. Wonderful. Anything else you'd like to add about donor concierge or just to people who are on an alternate path than they expected when they first set out to be a mother? You know, I think what I would say is try and find support. And certainly, you know, Sarah is here as a great support system, but it can be really hard to do this when you're choosing a different route. And and you you may find that there are a lot of people that uh, can be discouraging. So I'd say try and find support. You know, that's what we do also is we, you know, we support our clients to help them, you know, to find what they need, you know, and including clinics or attorneys, all of that sort of thing so that, you know, we can help them to find the right sort of support. So that would be the main thing. And, and, you know, if this is your dream, then go for it because I don't think you'll regret it later on. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. And it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. If you liked today's episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe and leave a review. I so appreciate your support to spread the word about this project. If you'd like to hear more about my journey, please read my memoir, Motherhood Reimagined, When Becoming a Mother Doesn't Go as Planned. It's available everywhere books are sold. And finally, I'm so excited to announce the upcoming launch of Motherhood Reimagined Tribe. Tribe is the essential resource for single motherhood. So whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to conceive, or raising donor-conceived children, then Motherhood Reimagined Tribe can help you embrace your own unique path to motherhood. With our informative guides, blogs, books, services, and support, Motherhood Reimagined Tribe is the perfect place to get the advice and support you need to become the mother you want to be. I'm currently looking for founding members to join one of three tribe masterminds. These masterminds are small, intimate groups of women who are at the same stage of the journey as you. To begin with, I'll have a group of thinkers and triers, egg donor or embryo support, and solo pregnancy. As a founding member of Tribe Mastermind, you will not only get preferred pricing, you will get access to a huge content vault for information for every stage of the journey, weekly group calls with me to go over relevant topics and connect to others in your stage, and a community forum to connect with others at any time. This will be the cheapest price ever available, so don't miss your chance to join at this rate. If you're feeling really alone and isolated or get easily overwhelmed by the amount of information and decisions you have to make, make sure you don't miss this chance to connect with other women and get access to tons of research that's already been done for you. Head on over to the Motherhood Reimagined website or follow the link in the show notes to apply for your spot as a founding member. Join me next week when I speak with Jill, who used both a sperm and an egg donor to get pregnant and has zero regrets. You'll love what she has to say. I can't wait for you to listen. Bye for now.